The Anchor Podcast is part of the Vanderbilt Sports Network, a partnership between Vanderbilt Athletics and Learfield. Listen to audio broadcast of Commodore football, men's and women's basketball, and baseball all season across our network. Affiliates can be found on VUCommodores.com under the Fans tab, or you can stream for free by downloading the VU Commodores app. Bradfield is on the run. He's at the track. This one is back, and it is. Did he get it? Did he get it? He got it. Enrique Bradfield Jr., maybe the catch of the season. Williams into Note, three for the win. No good! The Commodores hog the spotlight in this SEC opener. Touchdown, Vanderbilt. McGowan, 36 yards of lightning down the sideline. Strike three. It's Omaha for Vanderbilt. Walter picks it up. He throws down the first. Welcome in. It's another edition of the Anchor Podcast. Always great to have you with us alongside Andrew Allegretta. I'm Kevin Ingram. Coming up on today's show, our interview guest will be a guy who is one of the newest members of Vanderbilt's Athletics Hall of Fame, part of the 2022 class, Hunter Stewart. He was an outstanding golfer. We'll talk to him coming up in just a little bit. As we record this, uh, we're watching some BP and getting ready for the NCAA Nashville Regional here at Hawkins Field this weekend. It all gets started on Friday. Oregon against Oregon against Xavier at noon, and then Vanderbilt against Eastern Illinois coming up at 7 o'clock, but an exciting time of year. Of course, a Vanderbilt team that won the SEC Tournament Championship back on Sunday, but now you turn the page and get ready to play in these uh, important NCAA Tournament games. Yeah, looking forward to it. Obviously, I think everything that happened down in Hoover uh, should buoy the confidence some. And I'm not sure if it's just because that they won the games. I think it's, to me, the fact that you got Hunter back for three innings. I think the fact that you got two pretty good starts from Sam Laboki is pretty helpful. Vanderbilt is going to have to figure this thing out, not necessarily on the fly, but to an extent, right? They're still figuring out who does what in the absence of Carter Halton or you know, whoever else happens to be out. We do expect Ginther to go, but of course he was supposed to come out of the bullpen in Hoover and then didn't. Right. Um, so there's still a lot of questions from a pitching staff perspective of who pitches when, but everything that happened in Hoover should at least give you confidence that they've been able to figure some things out here for this weekend. Let's go back to Hoover for a moment. Vanderbilt earned the number six national seed after winning that SEC tournament championship. Beat A&M on Sunday, 10 to four. Knocked off Florida on Saturday, 11 to six. It felt like we owed those guys one. And Alabama, nine to two to get to that point. 41 and 18 record entering this weekend, but he got lots of performances out of lots of different players. You mentioned Sam Laboki. To me, he's become a key guy on this team. And you think about him earlier in the season, coming back after not pitching for basically a year and a half and maybe felt the struggles a little bit, but man, he's really been terrific here lately. You know, it's funny. I remember the series versus Missouri. And one of the things coming out of it is at times, perhaps, it's difficult to be a Vanderbilt fan from the context that oftentimes uh, Corbin and Brownie will lose the battle but win the war. Mm-hmm. Of course, they leave Sam Laboki in the ballgame versus Missouri gives up the walk-off hit when it's easy to sit there and scream, oh, take Sam out of the ballgame, take Sam out of the ballgame. But he needed that moment. He needed that moment to be able to step into other moments with more confidence. I remember he came out of the bullpen I think it was the first game of the season and pitched a couple of good innings versus TCU and then got popped by TCU. But all of those moments for Sam built to the opportunity to be successful in Hoover. 
and then he keeps getting the ball and then he's successful helps them win an sec tournament championship and look there was there was three people that spoke to the media here today it was tim corbin it was bradfield jr and it was sam labokey so if that doesn't tell you that sure. sam has some significance in terms of being a confidence poised upperclassman i don't know what else does Saw good performances out of some veteran guys. Parker Nolan had a nice tournament, three hits each in the championship game against Texas A&M. But how about these two freshmen, R.J. Austin and Chris Maldonado? Both all-tournament. R.J. was the uh, tournament MVP. Uh, We've seen him swing the bats. We've seen him kind of go through those experiences that you have as a first-year player. We have some ups and downs throughout the season. But, man, they were both outstanding in Hoover. What about the performances of those those two? You know what? It's um, We were just talking with the Oregon radio guy, too. And I don't know if you agree with me 100% or not, but I certainly feel like the offense for Vanderbilt is at its strongest when you get quality performances Uh, from the freshmen and specifically the underclassmen in the middle of this order for Vanderbilt. That's Chris Maldonado. Uh, That's R.J. Austin. Uh, R.J. becomes the first freshman to win tournament MVP uh, since 2015 in Florida's J.J. Swartz. Uh, He is Vanderbilt's fourth tournament MVP. No surprise, 1980, 2007, 2019, and now 2023. And he was the tone setter. And that's sort of what he's been throughout the course of the season, right? His his energy, his enthusiasm, his positivity on the baseball field, which is why that first game versus Arkansas was so uh, disorienting for him, for the entire team to make those defensive mistakes, has the uh, the home run to start things off versus Alabama that put some distance in it. And then I will say um, that first inning versus Florida, Jack Caglione is struggling, having a hard time consistently finding the strike zone. And it looks like for a second, Vanderbilt might only get out of the first inning with one or two runs. And then he ropes the double off the top of the left field fence to give him four. Those swings versus Alabama and Florida were total game changers from a tone standpoint of both of those. If Vanderbilt gets out of those two to nothing, three to nothing, maybe those teams can get back in it. But instead it was five to nothing and four to nothing. And that absolutely changed the dynamic of that ball game. No question about it. Those big innings made all the difference in those wins. Uh, we'll see Devin Futrell make the game one start. Uh, he was good against Alabama through five innings, four hits, two earned runs. That feels like uh, probably the move everybody expected little uncertain after that as far as the starting pitchers for the rest of the weekend but the good thing for Devin too and Tim Corbin talked about this uh, earlier today he's been in these spots before he's been in some pressure games we saw it last year when Vanderbilt played out at Oregon State that's the one that defines him to me Um, he's obviously had a lot of good starts here this season Uh, at times he's kind of not been perfect which is fine he talked about the fact that he didn't really have his fastball command versus uh, I guess it was was it was it the second game versus Florida or the first game versus Alabama? Uh, it would have been the Alabama game that right, Devin right. threw because uh, J.D. Thompson threw versus Florida. Um, so, look, that's fine. He's thrown a lot of pitches here this season. He's been the most consistent performance uh, that you could get from a starting pitcher from Vanderbilt throughout the course of the season. But the game versus Oregon State last year, he was brilliant. I think it was like seven hits one run versus Oregon State. Vanderbilt won that game like 8-1. to one. It, it was no contest. Vanderbilt popped Oregon State to force game seven. Uh, so the fact that he stepped into these moments, he's been successful. He's a very confident, very, very confident young pitcher, especially for someone that doesn't have a fastball at 99 to turn to. Um, I don't know if people caught it, and I don't know if you caught it, Kev, but he made note of the fact on the SEC Network after the Alabama game 
that he learned his changeup at six years old or seven. And I asked him about it the next day. I'm like, Dev, six years old? <laughs> most, most people are just taking the baseball off of a tee at six years old. You know how to throw a changeup at six? He goes, yeah, it's the first pitch I ever learned. His dad was a very, very successful pitcher. Has um, some slightly different uh, personality traits, as I understand it. I don't know all of it. Um, I know that uh, Nick Belmonte, who played at Florida and was the color analyst for the Gators on the SEC Network Plus, coached Devin Futrell's dad, I think like in like Indie Ball or something like that way back in the day. Uh, but but Dev's been a pitcher since day one, and I, and I think that's why Corbs loves him so much. It's not just, hey, look, I found out that I've got a flamethrower for a left hand. It's that I don't have a flamethrower for a left hand, but since day one, I've known how to throw a changeup, and, and he's a difference maker because of it. Yeah, and that's you know that's the pitch that sets him apart from a lot of other pitchers. So uh, you, you have a lot of confidence putting Devin out there. Game one against EIU. Interesting thing about this regional, all these teams are conference tournament champions. Uh, Xavier and Oregon play in game one, mentioned that. And the Panthers of EIU, 38-19, and 19, they've really gotten hot down the stretch. I mean, they, they were – upper part of the pack in the OVC in the regular season, but now they've won 12 out of 13. Uh, they won five out of six in the OVC tournament. They have a school record for wins. And one of their featured players is Ryan Ignafo, and he's one of the five finalists for the John Olerud two-way player of hey, the Kev, year. Hey, he's not going to win. Yeah, I understand that. But <laughs> There's a guy that plays at Florida that might have that award for the next two years running. You don't think that game on Saturday knocks him out of the running? I don't think so. Oh, okay. I think Cags can just uh, print his name on the John Holderwood yeah, Award for the Cags. next two seasons. Yeah. Oh, Jack Aglione <laughs> is a pretty impressive uh, player and athlete. He really is. But been Ryan Ignafo for EIU has been yes, terrific, sure. too. And uh, Kai Hampton, the right-hander, also all-conference in the OVC, third in wins and an ERA during the regular season. But, you know, as Tim Corbin has noted, and we've talked about, uh, you know, all these teams, they know how to win, know how to win in the postseason because they, they've already done it coming into this weekend. Yeah, it should be interesting. I, I really don't know how this shakes out. I think one of the things that makes me uh, a smidge nervous, if we're going to go that route first, is the fact that we're about to see a bunch of pitching that has nothing to do with SEC pitching. And that's both in the positive and the negative. Uh, the fact that you're not going to see triple digits is good, but anyone that's been around Vanderbilt long enough can think of a game or two when there's someone that throws... 87 and we're completely off balance for the better part of the game. I think Xavier's a bit like that. Um, I would I would expect Oregon to an extent be like that. I mean, UCLA came in here and had fantastic pitching and those guys were topping out at 93-94. Um, so I'm not saying that we can't and we won't hit these guys. And I think it's certainly welcome to not need to face Brandon Sprose on any given Friday. Um, but there's always that momentary adjustment uh, to a guy that's throwing 87 with some sink and then a changeup that just keeps you off balance, which is for a better part of the West Coast, how they think about pitching. And it seems to be the way that Xavier does it, too. And I think last year we learned the value of winning that first game in the first game against Have San Diego to. out in Have Corvallis. It felt like that set Vanderbilt back when we were chasing that game for the rest of the weekend. You, you know? have to, and, and especially with the way that the pitching staff lines up uh, here this season for Vanderbilt. Again, not that you can't, right? You won the first game and Hoover, lost the second, and then was able to fight your way back into it because, like, look, that's the SEC tournament. And the regionals, 
I would expect everybody's pitching staff to significantly get thin by game six or game seven of a regional. Uh, So it's doable, but you don't want to put yourself in that position. And, And Vanderbilt did that last year. They nearly got the victory, but then again, Oregon State has Cooper Jerpy to go to for three innings, and and that was that at the end of the day. So do I expect Vanderbilt to find a way to get through Eastern Illinois? You know, I I guess in theory Vanderbilt should be able to based on skill set and talent alone. Uh, But but who knows? And and I don't don't think any part of the regional is going to be um, easy, even in 2014 when Oregon came here and Vanderbilt beat him twice. Uh, it still took a walk-off from Rowe yeah. to win that in three games. Um, so, you know, we'll see. That was an exciting finish. I can remember watching that from, from up here in this press box. It was really cool. And I was thinking about the last time Eastern Illinois was here. I believe it was 2016. One thing I can guarantee you is the weather this weekend will be about 50 degrees warmer than it was for that game. It was nasty out here that night. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's man, it's, it's interesting the way the stories have, have lined up. It's like you would think throughout the course of – 10 to 15 years worth of college baseball and postseasons, you'd be able to see a lot of different teams come through the door. Guess what? Here's Oregon again. And guess what? Here's Xavier, which we've yep. seen a couple of times. And of course, very unfortunately, the first game for Vanderbilt back in 2016, uh, when the circumstances were were, were just miserable. Uh, so, and, and by the way, if, capital I-F, if you get through, guess what? Uh, Corbs has to go up against probably his best friend in coaching and Josh Holiday. Perhaps, perhaps if Oklahoma State gets through their regional as well. Um, I mean, I guess if you've been in college baseball long enough, like Coach Corbin, you're going to face your uh, former assistant backage for a national championship, and you're going to face Coach Holiday a couple of times. Sure. Um, that stuff's going to happen. But the storyline certainly sit there because we've seen these teams before. One more quick thing for baseball. Enhancements to Hawkins Field were announced on Wednesday. A new deck of stands above the existing seating bowl here at the ballpark. New suites and club spaces. A 20,000-square-foot building in the right field corner. Seats up on top of the monster and left. Now, it's a few years away from all being done, but, boy, it's just going to be beautiful when it's all finished. And I thought it was interesting to hear Tim Corbin talking about it. Uh, he was asked about it during the, uh, the press availability earlier today, and he said, yeah, you know, we've been, been thinking about this for a couple years now, and we wanted it to be something completely unique to Vanderbilt and to this ballpark he said you go to a lot of ballparks and they look like ballparks they're all sort of similar we want something that, that maybe is like the skirmer horn or that's something right. that's really unique that's right. to Vanderbilt and from the drawings renderings and I know that things are, are likely to change between here and there but I mean it's really really neat looking and, and that has a chance to be really special for this place yeah use that uh, theater mindset for sure especially down that I guess right field line is where a lot of that uh, theater style seating would be here at the renovated Hawkins Field, whenever that happens to be. Um, you know, to your point, obviously, it's a significant ways away. But everything's interconnected here, man. It's it's Vandy United, the ability to get things off the grounds, uh, the fact that, you know, we don't have a south end zone. We don't have a north end zone. That stuff is very much uh, well on its way to being completed. It's going to take some time. It's going to be a pile of rubble for a while. Uh, but the green light that has been presented um, by the chancellor's office, the way that they've gone about it from Candace Lee to Mark Carter to Tommy McClellan, look, who knows? Again, there's so much work to be done. But the fact that they are putting this out there forward-facing uh, is, is, is pretty significant. It means that there is at least a reasonable amount of confidence that they will get there on all of that stuff. And I recognize that that has not always been the case. 
uh, but someone's going to have to tell me otherwise over the past couple of years with Vandy United um, about what they've been able to put out there publicly that they don't have confidence in, in good faith of getting to the finish line on. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, that 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 left field seating with the home run deck, oh, uh-huh. I mean, how cool would that be? I, I love the fact, like, capacity is going up 10%. I think one of the things that I would love to have happen throughout the process of renovating Hawkins Field is making the games accessible for the Nashville community. That doesn't mean that people shouldn't have their season tickets. They sure should. It doesn't mean we shouldn't sell them. We sure should. But as far as I can tell, I don't know that the Nashville community at large feels like if they want to go to a Vandy Boys game on a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon, that it's really obtainable just because most of the seats are locked up in season tickets. So if there's if there's some avenues with the way that you bump up capacity 10%, you've got the home run deck, you've got all of these things where, yeah, you want to go to a Vandy Boys game on a Friday night, a Saturday afternoon versus a good opponent, you can pull that off. It, it doesn't, you know, I, I recognize that this program is part of Nashville's community, but but not not in the same way that you just go grab a beer and hang out at a sounds game. Sure. And, and I'd love to see that become part of the community as you move forward, whether it's five, ten years down the road. Yeah, it's kind of the double-edged short of success. You know, it becomes of a course. tough ticket. Of course, and, of course. Uh, yeah, it's going to be neat to see how those things develop over the coming years. A few other notes before we uh, get to our interview guest. Good news for basketball today. Tyron Lawrence, just a few minutes ago as we record this, announced he's coming back for his senior year at Vanderbilt. He had been in the transfer portal. He had entered the NBA draft but decided to uh, come back and play a fourth season with Coach Jerry Stackhouse and company. I speak for all of Commodore Nation when we say that's good news. Uh, Really had a breakthrough season as a junior, 13 points and four rebounds, shot it well from three at 36%. And um, he was a key player in in Vanderbilt's second half of the SEC run and uh, getting to the conference semifinals and making another run in the NIT. He was really, really good. So that's great news. Super happy for Tyron and for the basketball program. He'll be back for another year. I look forward to it. If he can hit more buzzer beaters versus Tennessee, (laughs) let's go. I'm all for it. Or maybe just have the game in hand and just run out the clock. That's fine. Score 50 and then we can breathe. Exactly. Kick times for the first four games of football season have been announced. I know they've been having the uh, SEC meetings uh, down in Destin this week, but the opener against Hawaii, August 26th at 6.30. Alabama A&M here in Nashville, 6 o'clock on September 2nd. At Wake Forest, 10 a.m. on September 9th. Central time. Central time, right. Yes. It'll be 11 a.m. Eastern. And then uh, September 16th at UNLV, 6 o'clock Central, which will be, what, 4 o'clock Pacific or whatever four time. 4 Pacific, out there. yes. Yep. So first four games, we know the uh, kick times anyway. Men's golf came up just short of the uh, final late for match play at the NCAA Championships this week, but still a great season for Scott Limbaugh's program. Multiple wins, Gordon Sargent, all kinds of honors, including yet another All-America honor this week, uh, the Division I Ping first-team All-America team for the second straight year. Congratulations to Gordon and all the players on that team. They, they had just a, a fantastic year. Uh, SEC runner-up, also second in the Auburn Regional, and then uh, went out and played in the National Championships this week in Arizona. And thanks and congratulations as well to Gator Todd, the uh, longtime Vanderbilt assistant, moving on to Kentucky as head coach. And Scott Limbaugh, just, I think, super happy for him getting that opportunity and has seen him grow as a coach during his time here at Vanderbilt. 
All right, time for a guest. And speaking of golf, this guy was a terrific player at Vanderbilt and part of the 2022 Hall of Fame class. Played golf here at Vandy from 2012 through 2015. He's from Lexington, Kentucky. 2015 All-American. He was the second one in Vanderbilt history there. The SEC Player of the Year, the first in Vanderbilt history. Won the Carmel Cup, the Tavistock Collegiate Invitational, the Mason Rudolph Championship as a senior, top five and three other events. Tied for third in stroke play in the 2015 NCAA Championships. And before he turned pro, he went undefeated at the Palmer Cup and earned a spot on the 2015 U.S. Walker Cup team, where his teammates included Bryson DeChambeau. So uh, he was an outstanding player here and a fun interview guest. Here's Hunter Stewart. What was it like to get the news and find out you're going to be in the Vanderbilt Athletics Hall of Fame? You know, it was kind of a pleasant surprise. I uh, got a got a call from from Candace and uh, she left a voicemail I was I was in a meeting and I, and I listened to it and thinking I don't really know how the athletic director really uh, need to call me but uh, <laughs> yeah I gave her a quick call back it was awesome uh, exciting news uh, you know brought back a lot of a lot of good memories from from time at Vanderbilt so yeah just just a real honor and um, you know pleased to be in there with a lot of great names you talked about it being a little bit unexpected had that ever been in the back of your mind you know, a little bit, I, you know, I was proud of some of the things we were able to accomplish there, you know, during my time, but, um, you know, it was never something that, you know, was really in the forefront of my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I think really just proud of the legacy that's kind of kept, kept going the teams they've been able to have since, since I left, it's funny, I left and they've gotten better. So, um, <laughs> you know, I kind of, I kind of laugh at that with guys, but it's true. Um, you know, all the awesome things they've been able to do the last few years. So you should look at it like you, you paved the way for, for those teams that followed you, right? Yeah, I definitely think, you know, I'm not, I don't shy away from the idea that, that there was definitely a culture shift uh, during my time there and, and it's carried over into future teams, but, you know, coach Limbaugh, the, you know, the current coach was a, was a major part of that. And I was just happy to help, you know, facilitate that with a little bit of, you know, leadership. What are the main things you learned from Scott Limbaugh during your time here? Just, just a work ethic, uh, preparation, uh, you know, just really sticking to a process. I think that still carries into what I do today and I'm not playing anymore, but, um, doing a little bit of performance coaching, a little bit of data analytics and consulting. And, um, yeah, it still plays into what I do today. Um, you know, really just helping guys refine their process and, um, never really had, had thought about those things until my time with him. And, um, it's just kind of funny how it kind of comes full circle. You don't think of that when you're there in school playing golf, but you know, those lessons learned, I just had a, you know, kind of a, he's kind of a football coach in, in, on a golf team. And I think right. that that's something that's, you know, such an asset because golf is very individualized. I think he makes it, he made it a lot more of a team kind of atmosphere. And, and I think that's kind of carried over into everyday life and work, you know, since I've left. When you go back to your college career, uh, I mentioned you won that Carmel Cup at, at Pebble Beach. How special was it to win on that famous course? You know, it, it's incredible. I, I joke, I actually am going to go there in a couple of weeks uh, working and uh, at the golf tournament. And I'm going to, uh, I always remind my, my guys that are playing the PGA Tour event that I work for uh, that I have a trophy here and, and you don't uh, <laughs> at this venue. Uh, you just look at the names that have won golf tournaments there. And it's just, it's just a real, a really a privilege. And, you know, we're always thankful for the Ewings for putting that tournament on. It was an amazing time. Was there a spot on that course when you're standing up there, maybe one of those shots, you know, along the cliffs that, that you just said, holy cow, I can't believe I'm getting ready to take a swing here in, in this position? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, Pebble's one of the best courses in the world, I think, it, you know, in terms of it has the highest quantity of amazing shots. And I think, you know, it's a way to kind of quantify the greatness of a golf course. And you, you get to the, you know, really the the fourth hole, the second shot, and it's nonstop all the way really until you get to number 11 and then 17 and 18 are, are pretty iconic as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you really hit, I mean, the eighth holes in, is insanely cool. The seventh is obviously awesome. And I mean, I've hit a lob wedge and I've hit a six iron into that hole, um, you know, with the wind. And it's going to be interesting to see that, you know, they've gotten some crazy weather lately. Curious to see what it looks like. But yeah, one of, one of the best places to play. But eight, seven and eight definitely stick out. And then, you know, coming in there to 18 is awesome. And I think I kind of had the tournament in hand at that point. And so it was nice to just kind of take a, leisurely stroll up there <laughs> you went on to have a pro career uh, i know an injury made it tough for you to kind of find the magic again how, how difficult was it to decide that it was time to do something else and not be able to play competitive golf anymore it's obviously a difficult decision i think anytime you fail at something that you deeply care about you know naturally that's that's going to bring disappointment and a lot of other emotions but you know one of them when i came to vanderbilt it was really a business decision hmm. um you know, you, that was one of the best decisions. It's probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, you know, to come to Vanderbilt. So you don't really see kind of how it's going to play out when you're 16, 17 years old, you commit to play, you know, college golf and you think, you know, what's this really going to bring, but you know, really the relationships, the education, uh, you know, just the overall connections and, and kind of the, the platform that Vanderbilt gives you to succeed, I think, you know, really helped me kind of springboard into what I do now. And, you know, kind of launching my own business and doing doing some fun stuff in golf still. So yeah, I mean, total package wise, I, I I couldn't 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 really say that I regret very much of it. You talk about you know doing analytics and and, and those things now in golf. It's probably hard to, to fill the void of playing, but that is that kind of close for you, and that you can you can help other top level players you know find their their best game. Yeah, you know, people ask me all the time, like, how much I play. When I say about once every month or two, they, they kind of are shocked. Uh, and, and my immediate response is, I'm on a golf course three days a week. I, you know, I still see plenty of good yeah. of golf. And then I think now, too, you know, I'm just not as good as I used to be. So, um, you know, I, I see high-level golf, and I expect high-level golf for myself, even though I don't necessarily play it anymore. And so it makes it difficult to kind of – go out there and want to chase it around. But yeah, I mean, I still get plenty of golf in my life. I mean, you know, before this meeting, I'm sitting here looking at, at, at numbers and, and golf courses and, and doing work. So, you know, I, there's plenty of golf in my life. Was there a shot or maybe more than one from your college career that really stands out and you say, man, that was the one right there? Yeah, one of my fondest golf memories, probably national championship my senior year of college. Uh, we had struggled in the third round there's a cut at after the third round in that tournament leading into the fourth day there and we were all kind of struggling and i just remember that second nine we as a team really turned it around and, and got momentum going and actually got up right there close to the lead and had, had really stretched it out so much so that like we were pretty much guaranteed to make match play which is always kind of the right. goal at the national championship you know the way they have the new format so the fact that, you know, I made an amazing kind of up and down save on the last hole. And I just remember just that, that nine holes 
to me really solidified like Vanderbilt as a you know golf school and kind of that just it was all on television and I just remember the momentum that we had we carried from that week I think still helps you know it helped propel that program for you know years to come and I, I just remember being there with all the guys on the team walking off 18 and it was kind of like you know the work wasn't quite finished but we knew that we had accomplished something really special in that few hours and yeah it's just I just remember some of those high fives walking off that green. I mean, you don't really experience that very much unless you probably represent your country in the Ryder Cup or, you know, something like that in, in the future. So, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of an unforgettable moment for me. It wasn't maybe one shot. It was probably that few hours of just birdie after birdie. And, um, yeah, just really built momentum and were able to kind of make match play. How much do you keep up with your former teammates? You know, we still have a pretty healthy group chat. Uh, with a good number of those guys um you know it's it, it's funny uh, i'm gonna be with a few of them this weekend they're coming into, in, into atlanta and so you know we've been kind of planning that for a little while and yeah it's it's amazing it's you know kind of family forever and i think that kind of just speaks to the culture that was developed under under coach Limbaugh there for vanderbilt golf who are some of the best players you faced off against from other schools uh during your college career I mean, you know, obviously at the national championship, you you play against you know the best players in the country. We had some all we had we had a couple of awesome battles my senior year with Florida State a few times that that were pretty good. But um, I mean, I've played with everybody from John Rahm to yeah. you know Maverick McNeely, who I you know <laughs> work for now and, and who's a great player in his own right. Um, I mean, my Walker Cup team, I think I was about the only player on the team that didn't make it to the PGA Tour. So, I mean, you know, Bryson DeChambeau and all those guys were on that team. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. You don't think of it like that all the time when you're, you know, 18 to 22 years old and you're kind of just in the moment. But, you know, yeah, you end up playing with major champions. And it's kind of, you know, always a really cool thing to kind of look back and do. But, I mean, I still am around them enough to where, to me, they're just normal. <laughs> right, right. I mean, they're just who I see it on a weekly basis. <laughs> You know, as somebody who who really looks at and breaks down the game, how interesting is the way that Bryson DeChambeau plays? It, it, just the way his his clubs are structured and his swing and all those things. Extremely unique. Uh, you know, one of a kind. I wouldn't encourage anyone else to try that. <laughs> I, I think a lot of, I think it just kind of speaks to his genius. But I mean, you know, sad that the the PGA Tour kind of lost him in the last yeah. you know year or whatever. But um, yeah, one of a kind talent. I mean really really intelligent but really the the motor skills that he had to be able to do what he was wanting to do with those clubs and just the way he played was pretty impressive i guess back to the uh, vanderbilt hall of fame what are you most looking forward to in terms of the ceremony coming up you know just ho hopefully getting to sit sit with my coach and uh, you know coach limbaugh and and you know just kind of seeing some staff that played you know a really vital role in my career at vanderbilt and you know, just being able to thank them and see them again and just kind of reconnect. Um, you know, it's just Vanderbilt's a really special place and uh, obviously near and dear to my heart and will be forever. Hunter Stewart, congratulations. Uh, part of the Vanderbilt Athletics Hall of Fame. Really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. That was Hunter Stewart, an outstanding golfer at Vanderbilt, part of the 2022 Vanderbilt Hall of Fame class. 
Congratulations to a few student athletes from the uh, track and field and cross country teams been named academic all district by the college sports communicators, including Max Beck, Joslyn Blair, Kyra Brown, uh, Caroline Eck, Madison Fuller, Philip Metcalf, and Jada Sims all honored this week. And six from the track and field squad have advanced to Austin for the NCAA outdoor championships, including Veronica Fraley and Disca. She won the prelims in Jacksonville. She's won pretty much everything this year. So all the best to that group as they head to Austin for the outdoor championships. On deck here at Hawkins Field, Andrew, baseball this weekend. I know the, uh, the run for Vanderbilt gets started against EIU on Friday night. Pre-game at 645 on the Vanderbilt Sports Network, and, and it should be uh, just a great amount of fun here. I know it'll be packed and uh, rowdy and loud, so uh, ready to go. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, really, really excited. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't necessarily know what to say. I'm just looking forward to it. I want to go one game at a time and try to take care of business and would love to take this team to Omaha for the sixth time in program history. Uh, I'll throw this out there very, very quickly. I, I think we'll probably talk about it uh, perhaps more once we get further along in the postseason. But a quick thank you to WNSR for the foreseeable future. Uh, this will be our final postseason run on their airways, 95.9, 560, of course, as we transition uh, to 102.5 and 94.9 next season. Uh, but they've done so much for this program uh, for the better part of two decades. Uh, they've broadcasted two national championships. Uh, they've broadcasted five trips to Omaha. They've broadcasted uh, now three SEC tournament championships. They've been a part of the growth of this program. Um, so we'll talk about that more, but certainly wanted to acknowledge uh, that program's place in the arc of uh, the baseball program. Um, they, they have been there right there from, I believe, Fort Scott's home runs, uh, yeah. which, which I assume was on NSR back in 2003 all the way to uh, the final outs in, in Hoover last week too so uh, thank you to you know Ted Johnson Adam Johnson over there um, you know they've been a part of this program for sure yeah they have been uh, terrific partners for this program and, and this school and uh, women's basketball too for a long time Correct. so uh, thanks very much to WNSR and those folks uh, for the long partnership with Vanderbilt Athletics that'll do it for now for Andrew I'm Kevin that is the Anchor Podcast we'll talk to you soon